Good morning, everybody. We're uh, going to take a break from our Ephesian study. Actually, we finished our Ephesian study uh, last week. For those of you who were not paying really close attention, and uh, we'll, we'll pick up with another study next year. But uh, today we're going to talk about the subject that must be about in everybody's heart, and that is the subject of Christmas, or at least related to Christmas. But uh, first I'll tell you a story about me at work. I tend to bring my lunch to work uh, instead of uh, buying lunch at work. And uh, one of the reasons for it is it saves me money. And uh, I like to think maybe it's a little bit healthier than whatever I might end up buying. So that maybe sounds like a better reason. Um, a couple of weeks ago, one of my coworkers invited me to go out. Occasionally I'll go out. Uh, to lunch, and one of my coworkers invited me to go out to lunch with him, and I told him, you know, I want to, but I can't, because I feel guilty about how much money I just spent on a Christmas present. Now, what makes it worse, it was a Christmas present for me, <laughs> so I really felt guilty about it, and I didn't feel like going out to lunch, or paying for lunch, I just ate my leftovers, and uh, so my coworker proceeded and told me about his, you know, Christmas gifts story. He told me that the day before he was in a grocery store, maybe Safeway, and uh, was uh, stuck for 10 minutes behind the person ahead of him in line because that person spent $3,000 on gift cards. $3,000. Two of them were $500 gift cards. Wouldn't you want to be on uh, that person's Christmas list? <laughs> so I, I checked into it a little bit. In the United States of America, they're expecting that this year people will spend $770 billion on Christmas gifts. And that's up maybe 10% uh, from last year. So this is the kind of money people spend on Christmas gifts. I tried to do a quick calculation in my head. That's over $2,000 per person. And then you wonder, you know, who am I hanging out with? <laughs> But the truth is, I don't give that much money in gifts, so, you know, why should I expect other people to give me this kind of money? But the whole point of all this is that uh, Christmas has really become a, a commercial enterprise of trying to encourage you to spend money on gifts, because that's what drives our economy. We're a consumer-based economy. Seventy percent of our economy is based on people going out and buying things instead of other things that they could spend it on. So Christmas is a big time for the industry. They want you to go out and buy. Um, but uh, someone sent me a card. I don't know if we can get it displayed. But someone sent me this card. They'll remain anonymous by the request. And uh, it says, as we celebrate the season, may we remember the reason. May we remember the reason. And the key is, there's a reason behind why we should be celebrating Christmas. And uh, the reason is that God gave us a gift. It wasn't a Christmas gift, but it is the gift upon which Christmas is based. And we want to try to think about that gift. And the wonderful thing about this gift is it's available to everyone. Everyone can have this gift. Another wonderful thing is it costs more 
that the entire amount of money spent by the United States every year on Christmas gifts, more than $770 billion, but it can be yours. The sad thing about this gift is most people miss it, even though it's offered to everybody. Most people say no, or they may be not aware of it. So we'll look at that today. If you would, uh, turn to the, uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 4. Gospel of John, chapter 4. We'll display the verses if you don't have a Bible, but if you have one, go ahead, open it. We'll read this verse, and we'll read some other verses in the passage as well, so it's well worth your while to turn there. John chapter 4 and verse 10. And just to give you a little bit of a background, this is Jesus fairly early in his ministry. He just uh, he spent some time in Jerusalem um, and uh, Judea, and now he's coming back to Galilee. But as he came to Galilee, he, he took a different route than one would typically take because there was a particular person he needed to meet. And this is the person he'll be talking to. She is known as the woman by the well. We don't have a name for her. <clears throat> Jesus started the conversation with her, asking her for water. And uh, that will help connect us with the passage. And she basically, you know, asked why. Why he wants water. Why, is, why he is talking to her. She didn't expect a Jewish man to be talking to her, a Samaritan woman. In, in the verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So here's the key word, is the gift of God. We're here interested in the gift of God. What is the gift of God? And this verse will form the outline of the message. First of all, if you want the gift of God, there's four things that need to happen according to this verse. First, you need to know what the gift of God is. Second, you need to know who is the one who offers the gift of God. That's Jesus. You need to know who Jesus is. Third, you need to ask... And fourth, he needs to give it to you. Okay? You need to know what the gift of God, you need to know who Jesus is, you need to ask him, he needs to give it to you if you want the gift of God. Okay, what is the gift of God? We have it for us at the end of the verse. Jesus says, and he would have given you living water. The gift of God is living water. What is living water? Well, we'll turn to another uh, passage. You don't have to turn there. I'll have the verse up. There's another passage in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12 says, Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here we have for us the interpretation of what a living water means. Living water means 
having a relationship with God, right? The children of Israel turned away from God, and he says, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Living water means a relationship with God. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm here to offer you a relationship with God. You can know God on a personal basis. And just to see that, we'll take a quick look at a couple of verses in the gospel. Jesus answered and said to him, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is saying that he and God the Father want to come and make a home within you. A home means they want to stay with you. They want to be in your heart. They want to have a genuine, meaningful relationship with you. That is the gift that Jesus is offering you. Another verse is Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. It's interesting how many of our uh, fellowship opportunities are revolving around meals. We say, if you feed them, they will come. And uh, Jesus is talking here about that kind of a fellowship. If anyone opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him. Not that Jesus, you know, is coming to eat physical food in your house, but he wants to have that kind of an intimate fellowship with you. And that's another key here. Uh, we will see as we keep studying, Jesus himself is that gift of God, the relationship that God wants to have with you. Jesus wants to come into your heart. He wants to be part of your life. That is the gift of God that he offers you. I uh, bought my wife for Christmas a uh, non-stick surface pan. I don't know if you guys know what it means. It, one of these pans, you can make eggs or pancakes in it. And one of the annoying things is that, you know, when the egg sticks or the pancake sticks and you try to take it out and half of it is left on the pan. So I love those non-stick surfaces that make it easy to, uh, to uh, uh, what do you call it? Not bake. Cook? Fry? I don't know. Whatever you call that. You can tell I'm not the, the cook in my house. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the funny thing, you know, not the funny thing, the sad thing is you buy one of these, it has this beautiful surface non-stick surface, and then after a couple of years, it's not so beautiful anymore, right? It kind of starts losing whatever is that material on the surface that makes it non-stick, and things start sticking to it again, and it just looks kind of yucky, and you don't really want to cook your food on it anymore. So, you know, this Christmas, I said, I'll get my wife a new one of those. And so I go to uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. My wife gives me a coupon, saves 20%, so that <laughs> seems like a good place to go to. And, uh, you know, I look around, and, you know, there's one of those that says lifetime warranty. Lifetime warranty. And I'm like, it's a little more expensive than the others, but it's worth it. If I don't have to come back in two years and buy another one, you know, I'm willing to pay a little bit more for this one. And I had the coupon, so it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and uh, I bring it home and, you know, give it to my wife. We had a Christmas exchange yesterday because 
you know, we will we'll be heading down to LA this coming week and we wanted to get that out of the way, just kind of our own, you know, family one. And, uh, you know, we opened the gift. So I, I want to see what this, you know, warranty really is, because you know how it is. They have this fine print things about these warranties. So you open it up and, you know, it starts giving you a list of conditions of what it doesn't apply to. And uh, one of the things, you know, it's limited to is your lifetime. Once you're dead, it's no longer good. So, you know, you can't leave it as an inheritance to your child, and then your child can bring it and complain about it, okay? It really is, your, it specifically says that, you know, until the death of the purchaser. And, uh, you know, it has other things like, you know, it's warranted to continue working. We're not promising it'll look good. Okay, I mean, the whole purpose I bought it is I want to keep that, you know, nice surface. Well, but it's not. As long as it works, as long as I, you know, put it on my stove and I can, you know, make an egg in it, you know, it's good. So, you know, a little bit of a disappointment there. Well, the thing about this gift that God offers you, living water, a relationship with himself, is it's, it, it's, it's uh, I, I had some words here that were going to help me, uh, eternal satisfaction guaranteed. Eternal satisfaction guaranteed. We can just continue in that same passage after Jesus offers this woman the living water. She responds in verse 11. She says, this, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, meaning the water that was in the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What Jesus is saying, what I will give you is good forever. You will never be dissatisfied with it. You will never thirst again. Now, we tend to give for Christmas uh, inanimate objects. That's usually what we give as presents for our kids. Now, my daughter really wants a dog. And, uh, you know, we haven't given her a dog, not even this Christmas. But uh, one of the reasons I think she, she prefers a dog, she wants a dog, is you can have some sort of a relationship with the dog, right? You can pet the dog, the dog loves you, he comes, wags his tail, lies your feet, you can scratch it. I mean, there's something more than an inanimate object in a dog. Now, even better than a dog, my daughter would like to have another sister. <laughs> right? Now, it makes sense. You can play more with another sister. You know, they're even better than dogs. You really can have a more meaningful relationship with them. And uh, my wife and I were talking about it. She mentioned to, to me uh, something she learned from another message. And that's uh, the fact that God created us to be relational beings. He created us to have relationships. And... Uh, that person pointed out that uh, the worst punishment they give you in jail 
is solitary confinement. People will rather be with thieves and rapists and murderers than being alone. Because God made us to be relational. We need that relationship with other people. And yet, God made us ultimately to have a relationship with himself. After uh, we gave the Christmas present, Christmas presents we did Friday night. And uh, last night, so one night later, Joey came to me. Joey is my four-and-a-half-year-old son. And said, Daddy, when are we getting more Christmas presents? <laughs> it's just been one night. And that boy got more Christmas presents than he has years to count. And he's already dissatisfied. In the verse that we read in Jeremiah, it mentioned two evils. One, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. The second one, they've hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Meaning we try to replace God with something else in our lives. And it can be something like Christmas presents. We try to be satisfied with inanimate objects. Or it could be trying to be satisfied with relationships. If we, if we were to continue to read in the same passage in John, we would find that this woman had had five husbands and was now living with someone who was not her husband. She kept trying things, and Jesus came to offer her what she really needed, which was a relationship with himself. I uh, didn't have a, you know, a real, if you would say it, or the way this world defined, a relationship with um, you know, a woman until I got to college. And uh, when I broke up, or she broke up with me, all of a sudden, it was like there was a hole in my heart. And uh, it was an exposure of what God had created there. God had created me to have a relationship with him. He also created me to have a relationship with other people. And when that relationship was broken, all of a sudden there was an awareness of something that was missing in my heart. Now, to me, it seemed, well, I'll just go and find another girlfriend and I'll take care of the problem. But it wasn't that. It was the hole for a relationship with God that was exposed. And finding another girl or woman didn't help the problem. It wasn't until I found God and Christ entered my heart that that hole was filled and I found the satisfaction that he's talking about in this passage. He who gets the living water that I will give him will never thirst again. I now know what that means. And there's lots of people in this audience that know what it means to be satisfied. So if you're not satisfied, if you realize there's still something missing in your life, it's that thing that Jesus was talking about, and he came to give that to you. And that is the gift that is being offered. So this is really the first item. In order to get the gift of God, you must know what that gift is. And that gift is having a relationship with God that you were created to have, and that brings eternal satisfaction. 
The second thing that can keep you from the gift of God, Jesus said, is not knowing who Jesus is. So let's talk about who Jesus is. And that comes much closer to what people often talk about and sing about in Christmas. This may be a familiar verse to you as to who is Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This was a prophecy from the book of Isaiah made 700 years before Jesus was born. Who is Jesus? He is a child born. He is the baby we often see in Christmas scenes. But he was a son that was given. He was already the son of God before he entered into this world. And we could look at all the other titles, such as Mighty God. Who can that be? Well, we talked about this morning, but I'll, turn, I'll read the same verse that uh, Howard read. John 1.1. 1, 1. This is a gospel narrative. You turn to the book of John. It starts this way. In the beginning was... In the beginning was... The Word. Right? If you open the beginning of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God. And that is who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the Son of God from eternity past, and he entered into this world as a baby. And when Mary was holding that baby, she was holding God made flesh. And uh, he talks there about beholding his glory, the glory as of the, be only, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came into this world to reveal to us what God is like. And when you come to know Jesus, you come to know God. That is the relationship that God is offering you. Jesus is offering you himself. So we had a prophet, we had gospel narrative. Listens to Jesus' own words about who he was. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And by the way, the Bible defines eternal life this way, that they may know God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So really, when he says he's giving eternal life, he means giving this relationship with God that he came into this world to give. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Just by that claim, he's basically claiming to be God. Who can give us eternal life? and make sure that we will never perish? And who can make sure we will never be snatched out of his hand? Only God. But it continues. My Father, very clearly talking about God the Father now, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Got it? Jesus and his Father 
are one. There's no stronger claim of deity that Jesus has made. And not surprisingly, the Jews picked up stones to stone him at that point. Jews meaning, you know, the Jewish leadership that was opposed to him. Because they said, this is blasphemy. This person is claiming to be God. And he was. Right? Now, it continues on, if we would, you know, you know, just so we don't say, well, this was some sort of mistake. You know, Jesus didn't really mean to say that. Or, you know, you know, they were just misinterpreting what Jesus was saying. You know, that's not really what Jesus meant. If, uh, if we turn to John 19.7, the Jews answered him, and this is, <clears throat> to give you the context here, this is Jesus standing before Pilate. And it's in Pilate's power to crucify Jesus or let Jesus go. And Pilate just said, I'm going to let him go. I don't see any evil in this man. This is the official condemnation brought against Jesus by the Jewish leadership to the Romans. This is why they said Jesus deserves to die. Now, it's not the real reason. The real reason is they, were, they didn't want to submit to Jesus themselves. And they were jealous of the attention that the you know, popular vote was giving him. But this is the official reason against him. John 19, 7. The Jews answered him. They answered Pilate, who wanted to let Jesus go. We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. So this is the official judgment against Jesus at the cross. He deserved to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, there's one problem with that argument. What if he is? What if he is the son of God? Well, if he is the son of God, he didn't do anything wrong saying that he was the son of God. But it just didn't enter their imagination. They couldn't believe. Nobody could believe when they had Jesus before them in the flesh that here the creator in the flesh was standing before them, as was indeed the case. Now, Jesus was crucified, but God couldn't let that verdict stand. He had to let people know who Jesus was. And that's the final and really strongest testimony showing who Jesus was. This is Romans chapter 1. And uh, verse 3, it talks about the gospel. So it's saying the gospel concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. After Jesus was condemned to die on the cross for claiming to be the son of God, and he died, and he was buried for three days. What did God say? He raised him from the dead. He said, he is. He is the Son of God. You crucified him. I raised him from the dead. This is my Son. And so, when Jesus is offering you the gift of living water, of relationship with God, this is God offering you a relationship with himself. He has the right and power to offer you the gift of God relationship with God himself. So, as I said, I have two more points. These are really the main ones. If you don't have the gift of God, which is eternal life, which is a relationship with God, it's likely due to one of the two reasons. Either you don't realize what it is, or you don't realize who it is that is offering it to you. 
if you really understood what God was offering you and who it is that was offering it to you, God, Jesus, God in the flesh, you know, it says you will ask him and he will give it. But we'll go ahead and continue with uh, the outline. The fact we do need to ask. We need to ask God to give us this gift. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, why should we ask? Well, we started a bad habit in my, my family. We have this, you know, kind of not, probably not a really good uh, uh, tradition. And that is when our kids watch a movie, they often get to drink chocolate milk. Now, I, I, I'm not sure really when it started. Might have been, you know, just wanting to get some milk in them. Uh, it might have been that, you know, at some young age they asked and we didn't think of why saying no. But they're kind of used to that. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, they're watching a movie and then they come and complain, why didn't we get any chocolate milk? And, you know, I'm bothered by that. And I'm saying, because you didn't ask. Uh, there's a book written saying, everything I've learned, or, you know, important that I know, I've learned in kindergarten. And one of the things they hopefully teach you in kindergarten or not before is say please. You know, if you want something, you know, ask for it. Say please. And uh, this is, you know, this is a standard. Jesus says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. This is how God is too. He wants you to ask. If you want the gift of eternal life, a personal relationship with God, and you don't have it, what can you do? You can ask. Now, as far as assurance uh, to it, there's a verse, it actually repeats three times in the Bible. First in the Gospel, sorry, by the prophet Joel. And then it gets quoted by Peter on that first sermon when he, he preaches in the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved. And then again in the book of Romans, and I'll read it from there, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You might be thinking, well, you know, this promise that Jesus made that he will give eternal life to people that ask him to, that's not for me. I don't deserve it. And uh, in those days when the gospel was preached, the Gentiles may have felt that way. Well, you know, he's the God of the, of the Jews. He came to the Jews. You know, how do I know that me as a Gentile am welcome into this eternal life? Well, here Paul says it very clearly. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, it's the same Lord over all. You still have the same God. It's God is over all of us. And he is rich to all who call upon him. And this is the verse that's quoted three times in the Bible. For whoever, and the King James says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you haven't yet, put yourself in that whoever. It's you that God is talking to. If you don't have eternal life, it's yours for the asking. You, too, are not excluded. 
The final point I had was uh, he needs to give. And I'm wondering if sometimes people don't ask because they don't think God will give. And uh, I came up with an illustration for that. <clears throat> Let's say uh, I made you an offer. And I said, um, I'd like to give anyone who would ask me a fully loaded iPhone 5S. Anyone. And you'll sit there and you'll be kind of laughing out. That can't be. Too good to be true. You do the math, and you know, let's say there's 100 people here. A fully loaded iPhone 5S costs $850. So that would be $85,000. I'd have to go out of my wallet to pay for it. And you're like, ah, I know Noad. He doesn't have that kind of money. And uh, so, but then let's say you had access, direct access to my financial dealings. And you could go and look in my checkbook and open it. And you found that just on Monday, I paid $85,000 to Apple to buy 100 iPhone 5S fully loaded. And that it said non-refundable. Well, you say, boy, maybe Noad means what he says. <laughs> well, you see, this is the truth about God. The eternal gift that he is offering you for was more expensive than $85,000. It was more expensive than $770 billion, but he already paid it. Turn with me, if you would, to Rom Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the one thing we haven't talked about yet today and is key to understanding what is transpiring. What does it mean? And God is offering us eternal life. It says here, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is critical because you cannot have a relationship between a sinful person and a holy God. And in fact, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. God, to be righteous, must punish you with death when you sin. Now, when it says that God justifies us, and that's what it says in verse 24, being justified freely, you can understand it in this way. Justified means just as if you have never sinned. Being justified means just as if you have nev never committed a sin. In the proper 
theological definition means is God is declaring you righteous, which means at the end of the day, when you stand before God and have to give account for your life, God can look at you and say, righteous, this person has never done anything wrong. He is worthy to have an eternal relationship with me. That is what God is saying about you and me. How can God do that? Because I am a sinner, and you are a sinner. I can say it on authority of the word of God. For all have sinned. How can God, in his right mind, declare me and you to be righteous with him? Well, it explains it right here. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus? We don't use the word redemption so much. Uh, it was used much more in the days of Paul. And if you were a slave, you may have been captured in war, or you may have put yourself in debt in such a way that you became a slave. It was a terrible state. You belonged to a person. They can do with you as you wish. They can even put you to death. You completely belong to them as property. And the Bible tells us that we are slaves. That is our position. We are slaves to sin. Even though we may want not to sin, we can't. We keep sinning. We are slaves to the devil who has over us the power of death. And really, it's, it's slave to the judgment of God. We are under the judgment of God. Excuse me. Uh, just going to take that off. <laughs> we are under the judgment of God because of our sins. <clears throat> My daughter told me the other day, Daddy, everybody is going to have eternal life, right? Because their soul will never die. They'll either be forever in heaven or forever in hell. That is true. But being forever in hell is not eternal life. The Bible calls it eternal death. And that's the consequence of your sins and mine. They separate us from God. And that is the definition for death. Being dead is separated from God. And that's why Jesus said he has come to give us eternal life because he came to connect us to God and give us an eternal relationship with him. <clears throat> so it says that it's through Jesus, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus that we can be justified. What is the redemption? It's talking about the money, what it took to purchase a slave and delivering him from his slavery and say, you are now free. I have bought you back. What was the price that had to be paid? What is this price that's necessary to give us the gift of eternal life that is worth more than $770 billion? We have it for us in 1 Peter 1, 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Silver and gold, all the silver and gold in this world could not afford the gift that God is giving to you. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. That is the price you were bought back with. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I think... We often do God a great injustice and uh, not thinking highly of the price that he had to pay. What does it mean, I've been bought with the blood of Christ? What does the death 
of Christ means to you. Do you see it as precious as God sees it? A couple of weeks ago, uh, the Lord opened my eyes a little bit. It's a growing experience. The one thing about eternal life, a relationship with God, is that it's a growing thing. You appreciate Him more and more every day, every week, every month, and every year. You get to know Him better and appreciate Him more. And uh, the way he did it is actually he made me think of Mary. I, I listened to a song about it, Mary Did You Know. And uh, God kind of hit me between the eyes with that uh, picture, if we can have it out there. Uh, Mary, like God, could say that she has given her son for the sins of the world. Right? She could, because it was her son that died on the cross. It says in, um, in Luke 2, this is when Jesus was still a baby, really a newborn, and she brought him to the temple to offer him as a sacrifice. <clears throat> she is met by a man named Simeon. And uh, Simeon, uh, first he praises God for the Messiah, and uh, then he speaks to her privately, and he says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Can you imagine this? You're a newborn, sorry, you're a new mother. <laughs> your firstborn son is in your hands. And someone is talking to you and saying, yeah, you know, many people are going to speak against this child. And, and you could just see her putting around, my, my son, people are going to be speaking against him, this, you know, perfect little new boy child that I have. People will speak against him. And, you know, it's as if he sees that, sees that mother heart, and he adds to it and says, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And he is talking about the cross. Because one day Mary will see her baby boy crucified on a cross and put to death. And uh, I'm sure I, I don't fully appreciate the pain that she experienced there, but... Let me tell you that God's pain was greater than Mary's on that day. Because as much as Mary loved Jesus, she only knew him for 30 years. She probably didn't even really know him. Because there was a depth to Jesus that could not be learned in 30 days. But God the Father knew him from eternity past. And it was his son that was on the cross being crucified for you and for me. And another important difference is Mary was not willing for Jesus to be crucified on the cross for you and for me. If she could have, she would have stopped his crucifixion. And uh, we know that because earlier in, in Jesus' ministry, he gets into a place where so many people are coming that uh, he can't even eat. So many people are requiring his time. And his mother shows up, and she wants to stop the whole thing. So if she could have, she would have, she would have stopped the cross from happening. But not God. In fact, we talked about it this morning, that the only reason Jesus came into this world was to die for you and for me. That was God's design. Where am I going with all this? I'm going back to the beginning. You might sit there and say, well, you know, this whole thing about having a relationship with God, 
too good to be true. Well, God had paid the price on Calvary. You look at the cross and you see his son crucified and you say to God, it's too good to be true. And God will tell you, but I have already paid the price for you and for me. That's all I have for you this morning, except for the question, have you received the gift of God? Do you understand that God is offering you an intimate relationship with himself from this day forth and for all of eternity? Do you understand who it is that is offering you that gift, that it is God made flesh, the Lord Jesus, who is offering you a personal relationship with himself? And do you understand that the price was already paid? If you have, and you have not yet accepted Jesus' gift to you, or have not yet asked him to give you the gift of eternal life. You can do that this morning. And if you do, come and tell me about it. I want to know. And if you don't, and there is something else still holding you back, come and tell me about that too. And I'll see if I can help you with it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to acknowledge that we are not worthy of the uh, least of the grace that you want to show us. And yet in your word, we read that it was your desire to give us every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Lord, and we understand that that, that gift comes fully through you, and we understand that that gift comes fully through the cross of Calvary. Lord, we pray for any person here who has not yet received the gift of God, that they might kneel before you today and receive it. And if there's anything else that's holding that person back, Lord, we pray that you might show it to them, and that you might help them understand what it is that they're rejecting before it's too late. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.